Hello world and thank you for joining me today. This is Shelley Shearer and you're listening to the podcast Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, where if I've experienced it, I'm going to share it with you. If I've learned it, I'm going to tell you about it and always some education along the way. Good morning world, Shelley Shearer here. I'm so glad you could join me today. Well, we're going to talk today about loving yourself and I know that may seem a little cliche, but do you know what? Those words are so true that you can truly not be loved by others and the world around you if you do not love yourself. Because unfortunately, what we don't realize, especially when we're younger and maybe a little more unaware, is that how we feel about ourselves is reflected out in the world and we unfortunately attract that back to ourselves. And it's, it's kind of sad actually in a lot of ways because, you know what, nobody grows up in an ideal childhood and nobody comes out of their childhood and into adulthood without a bit of baggage because nobody's perfect. Parents are just people that grew up, had children, and became parents, and it, it, the cycle just goes on and on. But you kids don't come with a instruction manual, and us parents do not, you know, come into this world with all the answers. We are still dealing with our own baggage half the time. This became very apparent this week, talking with my son. Now, for my regular listeners, you know that my son is bipolar, and although he was diagnosed hmm, probably almost seven years ago, we didn't take it as seriously as we should have. And because he found some coping mechanisms and situations in his life, circumstances and situations actually changed to enable him to thrive in a hypermanic uh, episode that went on for 18 months, we, we didn't realize how bad things have gotten. Well, you know what? Our family's dealing with the fallout of that now. We have a long road ahead of us. And in this road to recovery and understanding and awareness, my son and I have been talking a lot about things from our past. And, you know, I was alone with him from the age of two. And although I married when he was 16 uh, or 14, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, my apologies. Wow. And, And my husband, my current husband, you know, raised him through his teen years. We still spent that formidable 10 years, despite dating and boyfriends, just the two of us. You know, no one lived with us. I wasn't married again in between there. So we have a great bond, but also we have no one else to turn to when we're looking for answers or results or praise or blame, even blame. We're all each other has to look back on those situations and say, hey, how did this affect us? And luckily I raised a son very openly and I'm so grateful for that today because we can talk to each other about the good, the bad and the ugly without laying a lot of guilt and blame. Something, a situation I do not have with my own mother and my own parents, unfortunately at all. It's gener- there's some generational stuff there, but my family just lives in turn the other cheek, you know, blame everybody else. They love to be in, in that mode of drama and passive aggressive control you know what, those are just very unhealthy places to live. And luckily, and I I give great gratitude for this, that is not where my son and I live. It is not where we pitch our tent. And, uh, and that is a really, really good thing. So in having these discussions, we were sort of talking about some of the signs, some of the things we missed along the way. And it's hard because there was just a small moment that his fiance, you know, kind of turned on the family when it all got kind of nasty about a month ago. And not in a mean way, but just she just felt that we were partly to blame for the situation, that we didn't take, you know, we didn't do enough. And she's probably right. Because we didn't. We truly didn't see how serious the situation was. 
that he truly should have been medicated. He should have been seeing a counselor, finding coping mechanisms. But you know what? We all find our own, we own, our own path. Now, for Ryan, it's taken three really serious situations for him to realize he has a pattern. But until he really became aware the pattern was there, he's been willing for the past five or six years to just ignore it. And say, you know, it wasn't true that we're exaggerating and, you know, that's not, that's really not the case. Well, it is. And now that he sees the pattern, he is so aware and he's so wanting to, to fix the triggers and the behavior. And it makes me think a lot about my own self. When your own son and child is doing that, you think, okay, I got to rise to this occasion as well. Where in my life am I not truly being aware? Am I recognizing my triggers? And one of the things that is a positive out of all of this is the fact that there are parts of myself that I do love. And a couple of years ago, and I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, that part of me was put at risk by a, a, a completely incompetent psychiatrist. And it really opened my eyes to a few things. So let's talk about experiencing to love yourself. If you cannot find love in yourself, I just, I sometimes wonder, I look at people thinking, how do you think you're going to find it in the rest of the world? If that inner being is like right in the depth of you, if the whole, the universe is a mirror and if it's going to mirror back and inside of you is a dark, ugly place where you truly can't stand yourself, I'm sorry, but there's no other choice. There's no other reflection the universe can give you. It's not like you can dress in black and hope the mirror is showing you dressed in white. It just doesn't work that way. Okay. So if you can look at yourself Find the good in you because everybody has it. Celebrate that. It doesn't mean you have to be vain or egotistical. I mean, yes, there are people out there with amazing physical beauty. But you know what? What I've discovered in my 35 years of adulthood is that even the most beautiful people, handsome men, gorgeous women, all have insecurities. They all have issues because nobody sees themselves like other people see them, for starters. And if they've got some pain or trauma or drama coming from them from their, you know, previous, their childhood or whatever, their subconscious is in control and they're just not seeing them themselves for who they truly are. So that's something you need to accept. Probably number one, just accept that. Granted, there are egotistical, nasty people out there, but honestly, even then, sometimes you can still get to the core of something that they're just really trying to mask. There's not a lot of people that are truly narcissistic because that is a true disorder. A narcissist, that sort of thing. Yeah, of course, there is nothing playing into them. They actually have a warped psyche that they truly believe that they are superior. They are better than everybody else. Fine. Do you know what? That's a small percentage of the population. But sometimes people are just mean because they just don't like themselves. And if they can't like themselves, they're not going to be nice to the people around them. So when you can love yourself and you can look around the world, find the happiness and the joy. Now, one of the things I've always, always found odd is I can have go to exactly the same country or place and if someone else I know will go there and we have two, two completely different experiences. I'm a very friendly person and I've recognized that. It's one of my positive traits. I love that about myself. And what I love about it is that it brings that out in other people. So when any place Keith and I go, quite honestly, we meet amazing people. Because if you smile at someone, they're probably going to smile back. 
You know, it always makes me laugh when I'm out somewhere and I give someone a big smile and they scowl at me and I just walk on by, I let it go and go, oh, I feel bad for them. Because they're just incapable. I mean, and you just can't help people like that. You don't know them, they're total strangers. But most of the time, people respond. So be the initiator, because not everybody is. And I'm definitely an initiator, hands down. Anyone that knows me will say that yeah, I am the initiator. I am always looking for that positive response from people, you know, making a waitress's day, smiling at someone random on the street, walking through a hotel in Vegas, complimenting a complete stranger on her dress as I walk by. I love that crap. I just love it. And I love the reaction I get from it because it gives someone a reason to smile in their day and feel good about themselves. You know, it's a good, good thing. Because it's funny, when you put that out there and you're looking for that happiness, you can you can find that the whole world tends to sort of respond lovingly back to you when you love yourself. Now, this little segue about the shrink. Dealing with my son now with his bipolar and his episodes and his manic, I can see those tendencies in myself. Now, when I was younger, my friends always just, they called me hyper. And if you fed me sugar, it got really bad. I was just like, Tasmanian devil. Well, you know, it's funny, we all laugh about it, but when you're an adult and dealing with a very serious mental illness, you start looking at things that trigger certain behaviors. And for a lot of us, and especially for myself and now my son, diet is a huge part of that. So caffeine for me, we were discussing numerous uh, things about the medication that they've got him on. And one of the antidepressants they're, that they're just gonna put him on, and it's one I had used for years called Wellbutrin. And what I didn't understand, my son, I swear, has a gift of knowledge as well. He's, he's quite funny. He's got to go find stuff out just like I do. And I hope I taught him that because really from a child when he was diagnosed with ADHD, uh, we really, I didn't keep that from him. I kept that front and center that, you know, this was a situation he had to deal with and he had to learn to manage. Right from the age of eight, he had to, you know, he had to learn to get on in the world. He didn't get to use it as an excuse for bad behavior and not getting things done and failing in school and being cheeky. He just didn't get to. But we still had consideration for the fact that he had, he struggled with doing more than one thing at a time and got very overwhelmed very easily. Well, do you know what? As a mother, it's my job to nurture and protect. Okay. So we discovered that list worked really well for him. But now it was funny. And I went on a little segue here. Sorry. I'll come back to the thought. He was saying how the list made him feel as well the other day and it wasn't really very positive and I thought, oh, that is really unfortunate. But I wasn't going to own that guilt. We did the best we could with what we had at the time and quite honestly, he functioned way better with the list. But at the time, we're now looking back on it and maybe part of it's just him rewriting history in his head a little bit and kind of finding excuses. It's hard to say. I'm not saying that's the way it is, but it could be. He's, he was sort of attaching a very negative emotion to, to that solution of mine Whereas, quite honestly, it worked really well for us for, for really many, many, many years. And the bottom line is I've got the result. I've got a son that's educated and out in the world working and, you know, not, not uh, on disability and not contributing to society. He is, you know, he's got a daughter, he's got a life, and now he just has to work a little harder to maintain it because he recognizes that there's, you know, there's issues and, and things that he's going to have to deal with. So getting back to the thought about the hyperness, that's how it was described when I was a kid. But, you know, talking with Ryan and now watching triggers and foods and things like that. Oh, we were talking about the Wellbutrin. Well, Wellbutrin is one of the few uh, antidepressants, apparently, that do not affect the serotonin levels in your brain. They don't operate on that particular um, 
chemical. And they've, it always has worked very, very well for me. And in fact, I take it now, after being off it for years, for my fibromyalgia. I read a, a, a research paper on it helping people with pain. And it was just an odd little fluke that I was in the doctor getting an x-ray for my toe. And it was a fill-in doctor. So she didn't, I don't think she noticed that I hadn't filled the prescription in two and a half years. She just looked at the chart and said, oh, you're on Wellbutrin, you've got fibro. That's excellent. We're hearing good things about pain management with that drug. And I'm like, okay. I actually didn't really respond, but it got me thinking. Then I went on the websites and I really found nothing. Everyone said they were trying it, but had no results. Now, talking with my son, it starts to make you wonder, everybody's different, but there must be something particular about our body chemistry that responds well to that because him and I are both people that do not do well with caffeine. Sugar is a huge trigger for us, but I've learned this for years and I really didn't even think about it as it being a trigger with my moods or my mental health, I just know that diet-wise, there's certain things I can't have in my body. They, they make me feel awful. Also, I have a terrible reaction to acne that comes from too much stimulus to hormonal hormone levels. And caffeine affects that. that. So anything with adrenaline or, or my adrenal glands, I really have to be really careful of. So anyways, we're kind of piecing all these things together now in these conversations. And it's so interesting to find out, hey... These could just be genetic markers and genetic uh, anomalies in our particular makeup. And this particular drug works really well for us. And we've had great success with it. So, and I have, I went into, I, w I was really doing well for almost two years and with my fibromyalgia and with maintenance, went into flare, you know, now and then, but I, I was really functioning quite well. And then about eight months ago, it really just slid down the, down the, down the side of the mountain. I was in daily pain again. And that's when I decided to try this. And in three days, the pain was gone. So it was just amazing. I was just like, oh, well, you know, I'll stay on these. I mean, I've been on them for years. Why does it hurt? I had some left over in the cupboard for crying out loud. And now to hear that my son is having, you know, the, the doctors are, are kind of hoping for that same reaction with him. So understanding your body is very, very important, but loving yourself is as well. And this is where I'm coming back to that now. When I was struggling a couple of years ago with, with anxiety and depression and needed to speak to someone, I was like my son is now. I was looking to talk to a counselor to get coping mechanisms. I am pretty well aware and I have a high need to learn and understand, but even I was struggling. But I've also be always believed you go and you go to the people that can get you the answers, you find mentors, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, the medical system in Canada isn't... isn't as perfect as everyone around the world thinks it is. And we have long waiting lists here, unfortunately, because we have universal health. And they fast-tracked me to a psychiatrist, but the psychiatry uh, system here in our country anyways, and I think in the United States it works very similarly, psychiatrists don't really do the counseling anymore. They simply monitor medication. They're like doctors for brain meds now. And you now go see counselors and psychologists for this stuff. Well, when I was growing up, psychologists were considered the lesser of the psych psychiatric industry and the psychiatrists used to look down on them because they were un, you know, uneducated, whatever and whatever. But they're now the ones that you go see to talk to. They're actually the hands-on counselors and the shrinks aren't at all. That came as a bit of a shock to me. So when I went to see this man, he met me within 15 minutes, for 15 minutes, and within that time period, diagnosed me with a personality disorder and drugged me with something called Seroquel. Now, it is an antipsychotic. It is actually what my son is on for bipolar. And it was awful. I mean, I just slept constantly. I wasn't myself. I had no motivation. I didn't want to work. And I only worked part-time to begin with. And really, after a week, my husband and I had a conversation. And he said, we can't live this way. You know, this isn't who you are. 
that started me on this really neat journey of discovering, you know, who I was and what, how, what I wanted to be and what I wanted to portray to the world. Well, long story short, I came to the realization that I sort of like my hypermanic side a little bit. That energetic part of me is what people are attracted to. I am happy in that place. What I needed to learn was not to let people pull too much from me and exhaust me and not to let myself get so hyper that I was sort of humming and crashing. And that's really been a bit of a struggle, but it's, it's been really excellent the last year to work on that acknowledgement of how I am, accepting and loving that part of myself, and learning to put some, again, high-functioning habits in place that allow me to live a more balanced life, because it's all about the balance. You know, one of our slogans here at Living Well with Shell and with the podcast is, let us keep you balanced. It was one of my um, company's slogans on, on, my, on my Facebook page, because that really is what we're all looking for, is balance. And just like perfection, guys, it doesn't exist. It is always a balancing act. You are never in a place of perfection forever. It's not something you're going to attain and the work stops. It's an ongoing situation like standing on a rocking ship. You don't stand solid with your knees locked and say, hey, I'm balanced. And the second the next wave hits the boat, you fall over. You have to bend your knees for the next wave and, you t- and the next one. Your life is exactly the same. Okay, so don't get caught up in all that nonsense. So what I found for me was the world does reflect how I feel about myself. And when I feel beautiful and I feel loving and I feel successful, the world sees me as that. And that is how it is for you as well. But if you see yourself as less, as a victim, as unattractive, as unsuccessful, sad, the world is going to see you as that as well. And that is what you're going to keep attracting. You know, it really kind of a little bit comes back to the law of attraction again. And, and if you wonder about that, this is sort of how they base that on is that, you know, this reflection, this give and take, what we put out, what we get back, that sort of idea is sort of, well, not sort of, it absolutely aligns on the same train track. Okay. One is just a further expression and discipline of the same sort of thought. Okay. So let's see what our meditation book says today. The world around you reflects how you feel about yourself. The beliefs of many years have kept you trapped in the illusion of separateness and apartness. Your hesitancy to love yourself was mirrored in the eyes of others, but you are not alone and you are not estranged. You are not a disconnected part. You are part of the whole, intricately connected to all of life. So go out and embrace your connection, embrace life, watch the sunrise, smell the trees, The gentle scent of an apple orchard. Feel the breeze on your cheek, the rain on your hair, the earth beneath your feet. So you know that I uh, do this Melody Beattie uh, book that I just peek into every few days and see what what has to be said and whether it aligns with what's on my mind that day. So her thought today is stay open, keep loving yourself, know you are a vital part of a living universe. Watch how much better, how much kinder life is as you grow in peace and harmony with yourself. See how much more love is mirrored in the universe since you committed to loving yourself. If you are the source, then so is everyone else around you. And I've spoken on this a number of times. 
about how there's just places on the globe and countries that maybe just haven't come as far as certain other countries. I could go into a million psychological, socio-economic, historical reasons for that, completely irrelevant to this conversation. The bottom line is we're all on different journeys, whether that be as people, as a race, as a country, as a religion, as a democracy, it doesn't matter. And we're all just in a different stage. I guess one thing that what I'm saying here is one of my little soapboxes is everyone needs to quit interfering and let some people just get on with their own evolution of their own in their own way. But that being said, you are on your own journey. But if you are living somewhere where there is a lot of negativity and you live in a country perhaps that has a lot of hatred and anger and some of it's ancestral or it's still going on with re- oppression, do you know what? That's going to keep mitigating I mean that's going to keep um, amplifying because if you have it inside of you you're putting it out there which means you're attracting it which means the people around you are feeling it and reflecting it back and it's a cycle and it goes on and on and on and on it's amazing people come into my neighborhood and they're like you live in the most amazing place and it's very true but we have these core 10 families where I live that are very very aware for starters And we have huge appreciation for what we have and we live it. We live it in love with each other in support. We're almost a little bit like a commune. We kind of joke about it, but our neighborhood is amazing and the people in it are amazing and people just come in and they come here and they're just like, just feel so nice here. I swear to God, I, I truly believe that we actually create the energy that exists in this neighborhood because we create it with this unconditional love and respect and gratitude of the people that have been brought into our lives and the interaction we have with them. We don't have neighbors that we call the city when something we go is something wrong. We walk next door and say, hey, bud, could you please clean that mess up because I don't like it? Or can we talk about this? We have open communication. The children, they run through all of our houses. We're the aunt and uncle to all the kids in the neighborhood. You know, pets are tolerated even when mine's being naughty and gets into someone's garbage. No one's screaming and yelling and swearing. I, you know, they just literally will text me, Kaya got out, can you come and clean up my yard? They ask, I go do it, it's my dog. There's none of this hidden agenda or hidden anger and keeping it to yourself. One of my guests at a party ran over my neighbor's lawn and damaged it. Now that might not seem like a really big deal, but one... It was our guest. And two, our neighbor is so anal about his yard. So no, there, it was, it's even more so than just a regular neighbor. We know how important that is to that particular neighbor. So Keith went right over, fessed up, said, hey, Shelly's girlfriend did this, or it was a client actually, and I'll fix it for you tomorrow. And he went and got the thing, the seed and the dirt and fixed it because it was a huge divot. They ran over. We have a lot of rain in Vancouver, so our lawns get really soft and mushy. And he has this huge corner lot and someone drove right onto it and left these huge, two big black, six inch deep tire marks. It's like, oh crap. No, 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 no. No one's got hard feelings about it. My neighbor doesn't like, oh, those losers across the street. He was just so grateful that my husband respected the fact that this was something important to him, fessed up to it, fixed it. Are you kind of following the examples here of the interconnection of positive energy, that sort of thing? I also live in a neighborhood with some really attractive women. And when I say they're all, we're all, they're all models. No, we just have these really attractive women because I have these five girl girlfriends in this neighborhood that are very content with who they are as people. And it makes such a difference how they interact with the world around them. 
and with other women. It's not, we don't deal with competitiveness. In fact, we have this app called Marco Polo. I absolutely adore it, by the way, if you don't know what that is, and I don't even know if it's worldwide, but it is like a two-way walkie-talkie for your iPhone and your iPad. And for me of my generation, I love it. It's one button, full screen, not this WhatsApp and little lines and reading. No, no, it's hit a button, talk. They listen to it and they listen to it, get back to you and they get back to it. And we've got this group of us girls in the neighborhood, so there's seven of us, that we can leave a message and everybody gets it. You know, that is used on a weekly basis in my neighborhood. And a lot, and so much of it's just encouraging or information or gratitude and thanks. All of these things create a more harmonic and that wasn't the word I was looking for. Isn't that funny? The word was right there and it left my brain. It's just, we have a lot of harmony in this, in this neighborhood. Now, every neighborhood's got that person and we have two of them. You know what? Whatever. We all deal with these two women everyone's had issues with them for 20 years they're just people that are unhappy and no matter how much we love on them they're just going to be bitchy <laughs> you know you, you sometimes you just got to cut you got to cut that stuff loose and literally the neighborhood exists around them and in spite of them it's just the you know what maybe it's their role in life maybe it's their role to be the foil against all of our happiness who knows don't know but you're going to have there's going to be that person there's going to be that professor there's going to be that teacher there's going to be that coworker what were we talking about today? Loving yourself. Because what you feel about your own self is reflected to, to the world around you. So back sort of a little bit to the situation in my own household. I really noticed it in my marriage, just by the way. If you are nitpicking with your husband or your wife all the time, if you're one of my listeners, take a step back and find out how you can change in the situation. Because let me tell you, you putting forth more effort and a positive light the other person will simply not know what to do about it and they just have to eventually respond to you in kind and if they don't and I'm talking long term you might have a more serious issue and you might have to deal with that within your relationship but for the most part my experience is be that person that you want the other person to be and you will be surprised how quickly it changes it's no different with children we're really having a hands-on experience with this firsthand with having host children from other countries. We have a lovely young lady with us right now, but she's incredibly introverted and very, very shy. And well, my husband and I are incredibly extroverted and very, very social, but we're also very, very protective of her. We are those people that just feel that the world needs all its color and all its variety, but we don't want people like that to ever get picked on or feel not included. And it's really funny because I've noticed with her uh, after about a week or so, if we're in a group, she kind of sidles up to one of us. She feels very, my husband's a protector and she obviously is picking up on that. So she'll stand very close to him <laughs> if the house is full of guests or something. And I just, I love to see it. And our, us navigating teenagers again, when we have raised them and we thought we were done. And this is our first daughter. I mean, we raised, we raised a boy. It is all fascinating to me to watch the interaction, to see where you can support and make someone's life better. And that is hugely enriching. The first five months was tough. It was a huge adjustment for me and I wasn't sure I could keep doing this. But now we've got this next child and I had all the tears in the world when the first one left and I thought, oh, no, I'm wrong. I do need to do this. I, I miss him so much already. And now we've got this new young lady that we're learning to love and do you know what? It doesn't drain you, really. It was just putting things into perspective. Good creates good. Good emotion creates good emotion. So one of the things about loving myself was 
I like being that person that's a little bit hyper sometimes and very energetic. The question was, how can I make sure I don't ride roughshod over people that are shyer or more introverted? But I learned that in my 20s and 30s, so that wasn't really a big deal. I'm very aware of my personality being very overwhelming to other people. But now as I've gotten older, there's also this just need to help bring someone out of their shell to make sure they're protected and they feel comfortable in a situation. Maybe it's part of my gift of service. I really don't know our hospitality. They could all be playing a part. I don't know. But I think those things are really important because we are just seeing this young lady just thrive. She just seems happy again because our home is happy and we're happy. Do you see what, do you see where I'm going there? Now don't, if you're listening and you're a new listener, please do not get the impression that uh, this is uh, Susie Sunshine, Beaver Cleaver household. It's, it's completely not, but I still believe in the fundamental and especially now dealing with some heavy duty trauma with our son and situations that I'm watching around us, how, how important it is to look internally and make sure that you're okay with you. Because if you start there, honestly, the rest of it is a whole lot easier to deal with. And I'm just going to make one more little comment here, a little segue. I struggle sometimes in my marriage. There's no two ways about it. In any relationship, you've got two people that are not the same person. And right now, my husband, for instance, is fairly overweight and he snores something terrible. Well, it's disrupting sleep for me and I have fibromyalgia. So I'm always having to get up in the middle of the night and go into another bedroom. And I'm annoyed. I, I get angry at him because like, why should my sleep be disrupted? You go to another bedroom. But anyways, you deal with these things. But you know what? When you are committed to something, but also you're okay with yourself, you get through those negative things faster. The point I want to make to you is you're not going to make the negatives go away. The goal in life is not to live in a utopia. The goal in life is to learn to accept emotions, let them run their course and to alter course as quickly as possible when things are going in the wrong direction. That's really how I feel life should be more about. And that is why, again, with sort of our, a bit more of our branding here with the high functioning habits, I want to be the best I can be. And that means putting in good goalposts. And for me, those are habits. And it steers the ship. Doesn't mean the ship doesn't get off course. It just means the ship gets back on course that much quicker. That's the sort of thing we're looking for. That way, we really truly can, the majority of the time, live in that place of, I think the words Maru, or Maru, Maori, where you're, you're paying it forward. You're living in a place of peace. You're happy with yourself and you're attracting that back to yourself. That is such a blessing. And if you are living in a place in your life or in a place on the planet where that is not happening, try and spread that feeling because it grows. Energetically, it multiplies. And in time, change can't help but happen because you just can't have ugliness when there's enough people wanting not that. They want the opposite. They want the peace and the acceptance and they want harmony. It's all a journey. I think we've got a long, long, it's funny. I grew up in a, in a church where we, everything was all about the resurrection, you know, the coming of Christ. And I, I look at that and I think, oh my flipping goodness, that's got to be thousands of tens of thousands of years got to be yet away because we have so far to go on this planet. <laughs> it's a nice little dream to think that we're all just going to go to heaven and God's going to come and rescue us from all of this. But I'm not sure that's the point. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure a lot of Christians would just be like, oh, that's sacrilegious. But you got to think that 
maybe we are supposed to figure our crap out first and then we'll see what happens after the fact. But I really am not a big fan of the belief system that we are going to be rescued from this, this earth. We create what we, we are the creators of what goes on here. And we have a long journey ahead of us until it's a more beautiful place. That's all I'm saying. Have a great day, everyone. And I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for joining me here today. And if you subscribe to my podcast, you won't miss a thing. Remember to focus on not living in regret. You can reach me on Twitter at livingwell8 or email me at livingwellwithshell at gmail.com. Let me know what you like best about today's podcast, leave a review on iTunes, or leave me a message on something you'd like me to speak on next. Have a great day, everyone.